Our gospel lesson this day comes from Matthew, the 17th chapter. I invite you to hear these words about Jesus' transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anybody about the vision until the human one is raised from the dead. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've been thinking a lot about what glory means this week. And I was challenged to think about when have I experienced glory? I think sometimes I experience glory in nature. Whenever I'm at the beach and can sit on the beach or walk along it and look out to the horizon line and think about just how far that is and then how much further the ocean stretches and I see the waves and hear them pounding on the beach. Something in that brings just an awareness of God's hugeness and vastness and there's a sense of glory. I think about when I've been in the mountains and looking at a mountain vista and seeing the peaks go over and over in a, in a, in a ridge of mountains and I look out and see just how far we can see and yet how much bigger God is than that and there's a sense of glory. Or I think about times looking up in, in stars, getting out a little past the city area uh, where there's not as much light pollution and seeing the stars out in the sky or just last month I heard an astronaut talking about her experience in space and realizing the vastness of the universe and feeling this sense of glory. In these situations, thinking about nature, the glory that I'm talking about makes me feel both small in that I am tiny compared to the vastness of the ocean or to the mountain ranges that God created, let alone the entire universe and looking out among it. And it also makes me feel connected. I am somehow part of this vast universe, not separate from it. But I've also experienced glory in worship settings, being overcome by a sense of awe, rather, whether that's in a normal, everyday Sunday morning worship service or a special retreat experience or a camp type of thing. I've experienced glory and what I would call that at the birth of my children or in watching my wife walk down the aisle to me. 
all of these experiences of glory take me outside of myself. They definitely have a common theme of this. They are all encompassing experiences. When I'm in the presence of glory, I can't think about anything else. My typical to-do list or the anxieties that are running through my brain are nowhere to be found. I'm fully present because what is before me is awe-inspiring. There's not space for anything else. Now, we don't do glory very much in our culture today. Especially if that glory is talking about a God who is outside of our control. We like messages about God empowering us and about finding God within, what we might call the imminence of God. But glory is beyond our control. Glory is about God's transcendence. It is seeing God for God's power and vastness. I think the escape of transcendence And the hope of transcendence is why people sometimes turn to alcohol and drugs in our culture. Without experiences of glory, people want to get outside of their own heads. The problem of doing this through drugs is that it's always synthetic. It's the feeling of transcendence without actually finding that transcendence outside of myself. Jesus is transformed or transfigured before Peter. James and John on that day of transfiguration. And what we see from Jesus is Jesus' resurrected self. Matthew describes Jesus being transformed in front of them. And the word for transformed or transfigured here is literally metamorphosized, which I don't know if that's a real word. But in other words, Jesus wasn't just all of a sudden wearing a bright white suit in front of them. No. It wasn't just a quick change. No, Jesus was actually changed. He was different in, and it's a preview of his resurrected body. And in this resurrected body, then, Jesus can all of a sudden speak to Moses and Elijah, who appear on the scene. Now, this in itself seems kind of strange. Now, I've heard all sorts of reasons about why it was Moses and Elijah there with Jesus. Some people say that Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. And so in them all, we kind of have the whole of the Old Testament gathered together. Or that Moses and Elijah are sort of like the two first ballot members of the Hall of Fame of the Hebrew Bible. And so they get in. And so those, of course, are the people who show up with Jesus. But I really like the explanation I read about Moses and Elijah this week in that both prophets were rejected by people but ultimately vindicated by God. They were both advocates of the covenant and the Torah. They both worked miracles. And first century Jews believed that neither Moses nor Elijah actually ever died. They were taken straight to heaven in their belief. This transfigured and metamorphosized Jesus can then talk with other heavenly beings, those who have gone before him. And while Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah, we hear echoes of all sorts of Israel's story, about tents and about clouds and about Moses. So Peter went to set up what some versions call shrines, what others call booths, what others call tents. The main point is that Peter is trying to provide hospitality in the space on the top of the mountain. 
And he seems to want something that is this significant to last. I mean, if you saw Jesus transfigured before you and Moses and Elijah were there too, like you'd want it to last as well. But the word for tent that is used here is the same word that gets translated as tabernacle in the Old Testament. So it's the worship tent that was at the center of the camp whenever Israel was in the desert. And in some senses, worship at the tabernacle was the glory days of the Hebrew people. They had to trust that God would provide for everything for them in the desert. And they weren't so tied as they were to a specific place or to worship having to, to occur in this temple, on this sacred space. So when Peter offers to build tents for the three heavenly beings, we hear echoes of the tabernacle. And then a bright cloud overshadows them completely. Now during those same wilderness days, God's presence was known in the cloud, right? There would be a pillar of cloud that would lead the Israelites by day, thought to be the presence of God. And where that pillar of cloud would stop, that's where they would camp for the night, and that pillar would be in the center over the tabernacle, right? Over, over and indwelling all of Israel in their camp. That pillar of cloud was a pillar of fire by night so they could see as they were led. And God's presence, God's glory would rest upon the tabernacle right in the center in the cloud. We are meant to recognize the glory of God on this mountain. This is nothing other than God's one-of-a-kind glory. And we're also meant to hear and see echoes of Moses in Jesus. It says that Jesus' face shone like the sun. If you remember when Moses was in the presence of God, getting the Ten Commandments, when he came back down, his face was shining so bright, he had to put a veil on so people could even look at him. And the glory of God on, is on top of this nondescript mountain. It sure sounds like Mount Sinai, where Moses received those words from God and spoke to God. And then God's voice speaks from this cloud that envelops Peter and James and John, and Jesus and Moses and Elijah there. God's voice speaks, and what does it speak? It speaks the exact same words that were said to Jesus at his baptism that launched him into ministry. This is my son, my beloved. With him I am well pleased. Jesus, in other words, is the full glory of God. That is what the Father is saying in this moment. The same words, this is my son, with him I am, my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And then he adds three more words that weren't said at his baptism. Listen to him. Obey him. And it's right at that point when the disciples fall face down on the ground. They could witness the glory of the transfigured Jesus but when they hear the Father proclaiming the Son's glory, they fall on their faces in awe. And then what happens? The moment seems to be gone. Jesus comes to the disciples and touches them. He seemingly pulls them up from their kneeling position where their faces were bowed to the ground. And when they open their eyes, it's Jesus alone who is with them. Now, I've often blamed Peter in this story or placed myself in his shoes and wanted to be up on the mountaintop just a little longer. I want this special experience of glory to hold on. But I don't think that's the issue here. 
Jesus can come to the disciples after this moment, Jesus alone, because he is the full glory of God. He doesn't need any more transfiguring. That was just a reminder of who it is that we are dealing with. Jesus has the full glory of God, full stop, in and of himself. Sometimes, in our spiritual journeys, we want the mountaintop. And there is no problem with having an experience of closeness with the Holy Spirit of God. What is incredible, however, is that we have access to the glory of God all of the time. Because we have access to Jesus. We don't need to wait for a cloud to fall upon a place. We don't need to have just the right spiritual temperature. No, right here, each week, through the simplicity of bread and wine, through the simplicity of the word proclaimed, we have access to God. In your room, in your back porch, you have access to God. And when we are in communion with Jesus, it is communion with the glory of Almighty God. And we have access to that glory and the ability to share it with others. Friends, we are living in times when we see the need for God's glory more and more every day. Our human solutions don't seem to solve problems. It seems like we just make more problems, and they're more and more complex. This week, as I've reflected on God's glory in Jesus in the Transfiguration, I am tempted to force the issue home that Jesus doesn't want us to stay up on the mountaintop. That's often, that's often the point that preachers like to make about this text. But the reality is that we always come back down the mountain. This was always the disappointing part after a week of camp as a teenager or after the spiritual retreat. The valley never felt as good as the mountain. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus, God's glory, is fully present with us wherever we are. I've had this thought in my mind all throughout the week as I've wrestled with this concept of God's glory And it's this saying that often gets said, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Progressive Christians love this saying. Their point being, don't just try to stay on the mountaintop all all the time if it's not going to change the way you live, change the way you act in the world, if it's not going to have an impact upon others through good in the world. But I think the reverse of that is also true. Don't be so earthly-minded that you're of no heavenly good. In other words, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Spend time each day in his glory. Recognize the grace available to you in bread and cup today. I pray that as we experience the heavenly glory of God, it will transfigure the way we live and move and have our being in the world each and every day. So may you know and experience the outpouring glory of God, sure of God's presence with you. May you be heavenly minded. And may you find the ways that God is calling you to do good in the world, not to be content with injustice anywhere and to do something about it. May you be filled with God's glory as you work on earth, as it is in heaven. Amen.